Good morning. Our reading this morning is taken from the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Revelation 2, 1 to 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favour. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To those who are victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wonderful. Thank you, David. It's uh, great to uh, have our reading and uh, it's great to have Sam with us, who's going to speak to us this morning. Uh, I'm going to pray for him and for us before he does so. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it speaks to us in so many different ways. Lord, would you come and dwell within your word now? Would you speak to us through it? Lord, I pray for Sam. I thank you for the preparation and the time that he's put into thinking and, and praying through this passage. Lord, would you be with him and speak through him? And would each of us, Lord, see something of your heart, something of your love, something of your guidance for us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning. I have to say, this is truly bizarre. Um, where have you all gone? <laughs> it's just delivering it to a camera. If someone totally missed COVID and just walked in here, they, they, would, have, they would think St. Jude's numbers have really dwindled. I mean, it's just down to the band and the leaders and the AV team. We're, we're in big trouble. <laughs> However, there is one advantage of us being online. The advantage is um, we can write comments so whether you're on Zoom or on Facebook or on YouTube, you can, you can write comments or write something in the chat. Um, and I'm going to take uh, full advantage of this. And we have a little quiz for you. I have to admit, it's, it's, it's a one-question quiz. Um, but you can write your answer in the, in the comments or the messages on Zoom. Um, and everyone will know you were right. I have to admit, you can't, really, you can't really boast in yourself. You can boast in Jesus for giving you the right answer. But, but here is the question. I'll give you the question, and then I'll give you some space and write the answer and see if you can get it right. Something happened 505 days ago today. What was it? 
Something happened 505 days ago today. What was it? Think about it. Write your answer in the comments. What was it? Maybe 10 seconds. You might have guessed it. Yes, it was feeding the 5,000. 505 days ago. It feels like forever ago. It was a totally different world. Socially distancing, social distancing wasn't really a thing. You see pictures and people are all huddled together and you think, what on earth are we doing? It was, it was just a completely different world. Like visiting another country. But really interestingly, I think feeding the 5,000 is a fantastic picture of us working together individually with our individual gifts and talents as one church. Because you had people you had people doing the youth and children's stuff, you had people uh, giving out the baps, you had people on the stage, you had people in the prayer tent, you had the evangelists. It's all of us working together with our different gifts and talents as one church. That's really, really interesting. Um, and it's something we'll visit again in just a minute. So we have church past. Feeding the 5,000 was church past. Now we have church present, which is us here on Zoom, on Facebook, on YouTube, online. Um, but the big question is, what is church future? What does the future hold for the church of St. Jude's? And as Adam said earlier, at the moment we're discerning um, where we're heading as a church and our vision as a church. How are we going to move forward? And I think there's really no better place to be than in Revelation chapter 2. This is an exceptional passage. It is really, really exceptional. And it's kind of characterized by two things. Um, on the one hand, you have this exceptional church, the church in Ephesus. And on the other hand, you have kind, loving, gracious Jesus. But there's one big problem. There's a big problem, and it could cause everything to collapse. So, here we are. Revelation chapter 2. John, the Apostle John, one of the 12 disciples, John, is on the island of Patmos, and Jesus is dictating this letter to him, and John is writing it down as Jesus speaks. Um, and there are seven letters to seven churches, but this church... Um, John was particularly connected with this church. This is a church um, where he preached and where he lived for many years, and it's even where he was believed to finish his ministry. So this church is really important for John. It would have been, the things that Jesus said would have really shook him because it was, it was kind of like his church. This church had a fantastic leadership history. It's kind of like Bible celebrities as their leaders, there was kind of a bunch of those you'll find in Acts, um, including Paul, who spent three years there, which is an incredibly long time for Paul. Uh, you've got Timothy, you've got the Apostle John. Wow, this is an exceptional church with an exceptional leadership. And it was in an exceptional city. Ephesus was not just any old place. It was the capital city of its region of Ionia, but it was also the capital city of the, the province, the Roman province of Asia. So it was, it was big and it was important. It was even uh, given the title, uh, the first city of Asia, the light of Asia. Not an insignificant city politically, 
Um, geographically, it was in a very good place. Um, it was believed to have one of the best climates in the world. The weather was really nice. Um, I can't say the same for Portsmouth and Southampton. Um, I woke up this morning to snow and my car with an inch of snow on it. Um, I don't think you had the same here. Maybe it's just Southampton people, we're, we're cold. Uh, <laughs> but um, so yeah, it had a fantastic, it had a fantastic climate. Um, it was a coastal city, like Portsmouth, it was a coastal city. Um, it had a really active harbour. It had fantastic road links to the rest of the province. Uh, and it had really good access to the central river. If, um, for those of you who really like the game Settlers of Catan, it's like having all the bricks and all the sheep and all the stone and all the wood and all the wheat. It's like having a monopoly. It is brilliantly geographically, and no surprise that it did really well. Economically, it was a commercial center. It was rich and it had a lot of trade. Culturally, um, it was very Greek, although it had bits of the culture from the East. It even had one of the seven wonders of the world in it, the Temple of Diana. If you go to the British Museum, you can actually find um, fragments of the temple today, which is pretty cool. Um, and the temple, like the city, was exceptional. It had amazing construction, amazing interior design, amazing artwork, um, and even the wealthiest and securest bank in the Western world. So that's pretty cool. But there was one kind of big thing, one big problem about the city of Ephesus. Culturally, it wasn't particularly Christian, although the church in Ephesus made quite a difference. Culturally, it was all about the Temple of Diana, people worshipping idols and other superstitions. So the church in Ephesus was in direct contrast to the culture of the day. But actually, the church was so effective that it even disrupted the local economy. It disrupted trade of the pictures of the idol Diana. So the people who normally sold the pictures of the idol Diana were really upset with the church at Ephesus because they kind of ruined their livelihoods. That's quite an exceptional reputation to have as a church. You're being, you've been so successful in proclaiming the gospel that you've disrupted your local economy in, I would say, actually quite a positive way. So, amazing city, politically, geographically, economic, culturally. It's Beijing, think New York, think Sydney. It is the city. But there is a big problem. There's lots of idolatry, and, and it's, it's, the church is going directly against the culture of the city. So, John is writing this letter being dictated by Jesus in about AD 95. So, John is really old. John was there at the time of Jesus. John, at this point, is really old. And this comes about 35 years after Paul wrote his letter to the Ephesians. This is the same church that Paul wrote his letter to. This is the church in Ephesus. So, here we are, this exceptional church in an exceptional city. Um, and a letter to the church of Eph in Ephesus, it's not, the church in Ephesus was so influential in spreading the gospel that it's not like the letters are only directly to the church. The church is almost like a symbol for the other churches in the region. It's kind of like the mother church. So here we are, Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write. This word angel is an interesting one. The translation, really, it's, it's more like messenger. Some people think it's an actual angel, um, an angel of the church, but a lot of people think it's more like a pastor. So it's like Jesus writing a letter to the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And it says, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand 
and walks among the seven golden lampstands. So we know from the previous chapter that the seven stars are the seven angels or the seven pastors, and the seven golden lampstands are the seven churches. So the church at Ephesus is one of these lampstands. And it's really interesting to look at this model of Jesus. So this is, this is Jesus. Th- these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. That's Jesus. Jesus is active. He's not just standing in amongst the, the seven lampstands. He walks amongst them. Jesus is active in the life of the churches, and he's active in the life of churches today. He's active in the life of St. Jude's today. Verse 2, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. That's an easy verse to gloss over, but it's, it's actually very interesting when you get into the details. When it says your hard work, it doesn't just mean that they worked hard. It meant that they worked to the point of exhaustion. Like absolute flat out, they are absolutely knackered. Like so tired, you know when you've been working so hard, you just kind of flop on the sofa at the end of the day and you, can just, you just can't stand up. Or just so emotionally exhausted, you just, oh, you can't even, you just break down in tears. They are, they've been working so hard that they are exhausted. They're absolutely exhausted. And Jesus knows this. I know your deeds, I know your hard work and your perseverance. Their perseverance is an interesting one. It can be translated as patience. The church, like I said before, it was in direct conflict with the culture around them, and they had the the conflict of the people who were trading in the idols of Diana and all these other superstitions. It was not easy for them. So they were exceptionally hard workers, and they persevered despite significant opposition. What a reputation for a church to have. That is just amazing. If St. Jude's was known only for those two things, we'd have an amazing reputation. What an amazing church. What an amazing thing for Jesus to say about the churches. To say about the church. He says, I know. Jesus knows. And that's true about us as well. He knows what we've been doing. He knows our lives. He knows what happened to us this morning. He knows what happened to us this week. He knows what happened to us this month. He knows what happened to us this year and the difficulties we've gone through. He knows our whole lives, even the bits we haven't lived yet. Jesus knows us. He knows the times when you've been so sad that you just look forward to going to sleep so that you can get away from the world. He knows the times when you've been so anxious that you just can't sleep at night. He knows the times when the people you love so much in your life have passed away and you're left with this massive hole and you don't know how to fill it. Jesus is there with us and he is enough. Jesus knows. And he knows that this church is exceptional. Not only those two things, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. Paul had warned them about false teachers. False teachers was a really big problem in their day. They had all this exhaustion, all of this opposition, and they persevered, and these false teachers. And despite all of the difficulties they had, they did not grow weary. What a next verse. Verse 3, you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Wow. That much difficulty, and they've not grown weary. Exceptional. I remember the first time I read this, I thought I just jumped straight to the negative, and I, I, didn't, I missed all the positives. This isn't just some church where you go, oh, 
you know, rubbish. They're failing. This is an exceptional church. Wow. What kind of church are we? Jesus knows what kind of church we are. He knows our good things. He knows our bad things. Jesus knowing about us and our church is either a comfort or um, an absolute discomfort, or maybe a mixture of both, depending on how we've been doing. What would Jesus say to our church right now? So here's the thing. Exceptional church in an exceptional city, loving Jesus, writing these loving and genuine, truthful words to the church. But there is one big problem, one huge problem. Yet, I hold this against you, you have forsaken your first love. What does this mean, your first love? This is where kind of translations can get in the way. You could translate it, um, the love you had at first. So what does that mean exactly? It means that they, they, they loved more before than they do now. But who, who did they love more, more before than they do now? Some people think it's, it's the church congregation, that, it, that it's about loving each other. But most people think it's, most scholars believe, it's about loving Jesus. And that seems to make a lot of sense. Jesus is saying, um, like the bridegroom to the, to the bride of the church, why don't you love me as much as you did before? That's the big problem. It's not that they don't love him, it's they don't love him as much as they did before. Yet I hold this against you, you have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. So exceptional church, but big problem, leading to terrible consequences. The lampstand will be removed from its place. So what's Jesus asking them to do? Loving Jesus is amazing in the way he puts this to them. He doesn't just say, love me. For those of you who've seen Bruce Almighty, when he just goes, love me, he doesn't just tell you to love him. He gives you a practical way of putting it into practice. Sometimes you, you kind of listen, I find I listen to preachers or sermons and, and I'm, I feel very convicted, but then I, I don't do anything about it, either because I forget about it as soon as I leave the building, or I, just, I, I know the problem, but I can't quite work out the solution. But here it is. And it, it comes down to three things. It's remember, repent, repeat. Remember, repent, repeat. Try saying that quickly. So firstly, remember. Remember what you did before that caused you to love me more than you do now. Remember what you did before that caused you to love me more than you do now. Repent, repent of what you're doing now. Turn away from it and turn towards me. And repeat. Repeat the things you did before. He doesn't say, love me like you loved me before. He says, repeat the things you did before. And the consequence of that being that you will love me like you loved me before. It's practical. He's telling us to repeat the things we did. It's a very helpful, practical thing that we can put into practice straight away. So yet I hold this against you. Forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. So the church will the church will be removed from its place. So at the time they got this letter, they probably didn't know what was going to happen next. But here we are. We're 2,000 years in the future. So the big question is, what did happen? Well, Ephesus is now in what's present, what is present-day Turkey. And scholars have visited there throughout the years, and 
it's not what it was before. It's not the great city it once was before. Now it's sort of just a village. And one scholar did find a church there, but it had been converted into a mosque. And people don't even know who Paul is. It was an amazing church, but there was a big problem and it had serious consequences. But here we are, loving Jesus. He, he, he says this thing that's, that's really quite big, but yet he, he still compliments them. He says, but you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicol- Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And the Nicolaitans, people aren't really quite sure who they were. There's some sense that they were the opposite of the Pharisees. So the Pharisees were over-legal, overly legalistic, and the Nicolaitans were kind of overly... They kind of, uh, it was like an, obscurate, an obscuring of the idea of grace. So they were like, you, you can have Jesus in your life, but you can still do all these immoral things, and that's totally fine. In fact, encouraging you to do all these sinful, sinful things. So you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans. So the really big question is, this is a letter to a church that was 2,000 years ago. Is it relevant to us today? What's the point? Verse 7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Do we have ears? Yes. So this is for us to listen to. But that's not the same as it applying to us. At the moment, we're in a time of discerning what the future is for St. Jude's. No matter what kind of church we become, if we don't have Jesus at the heart of it, it doesn't matter. We can be as great as the church at Ephesus, but if we don't have Jesus, he might remove the lampstand from his place. So this applies to all of us, and it applies to us now. It's not something for later as we gradually discern the vision. It's something for now. We need to do this. What do we need to do? We need to remember, we need to repent, we need to repeat. Is there a time in your life when you love Jesus more than you do now? Remember it. Repent. Turn away from, your, from what you're doing now. Say sorry to Jesus. Draw closer to him. And repeat the things you did at first. Remember, repent, repeat. And through doing this, there is a glorious reward. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is crucially important. We can't forget it. And it's something we need to do right away. And I don't know about you, but this has had a profound impact on my own life and my own faith. And since going through these verses, I've just found my relationship with God on fire in ways that I remember it used to be. This is transformational. This is exceptional. This is life-changing. But we can't forget it. We need to do it. Amen. Before we um, sing our next song, let's just take um, a minute or two in the quiet just to lift before the Lord what he's saying to us through these verses today. Perhaps we need to remember the love we had at first. Perhaps we need to repent of the ways in which we've allowed this world, this season, to forget 
our first love. Perhaps today we need to ask the Lord to help us to repeat, to go back to placing Jesus at the center of all that we are and all that we do. Lord God, you are a God who knows us. You know our deeds. You know all that we do and all the secrets of our hearts. Lord, in the places of our lives where we have or are in danger of forsaking the love that we had at first, will you forgive us? Will you help us to do that act of repentance, that physical turning away from one direction into another? Would you help us to remember that first love, that love we had at first, and to repeat? And Lord, would you open our eyes that we might see you and know you at work in us. Lord, we offer up to you afresh again our life. And we ask that you would meet with us where we are now. sing together.